Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns. Really excited to have uh, not only Amanda Powell from Digital Marketer here. How are you, Amanda? Oh, good as always. I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, But we're really excited to have a guest here today that personally, you know, I'm a bit of a fanboy. Uh, I mean, his his videos are just absolutely remarkable, not only hysterically funny, clever, represent brands so well, but he's got some some pretty big, you know, claims to fame as far as some of the, the most viral videos on YouTube, working with some of the largest companies out there and some of the biggest stars but also as an agency that does this, it could potentially do the same thing for you and your business as a perpetual traffic listener. Today on the show, we've got none other than Travis Chambers to talk about how he does video. Travis, man, great to have you on the show. Very excited to talk today. Hey, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So maybe tell folks a little bit about your story, sort of how you started. I know there was kind of a funny YouTube video with your then-girlfriend, now-wife. I forgot that part of the story about miles per hour way back when. I mean, my wife who almost became my girlfriend. (laughs) Oh, right. Hey, that works too. You know, my wife is my girlfriend. So (laughs) My wife almost became my (laughs) ex-girlfriend. After the video, right? Yeah, it's gonna get real interesting on this episode, guys. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get spicy in here. Absolutely. Um, I had finished college for like a year. My wife had just taken her math finals. Math is not a strong suit, obviously. And we were driving. She had stayed up for two nights in a row studying for this math final, which she passed, by the way. And we're driving, and she's like, "Hey, if you're going 80 miles an hour, how long does it take you to 80 miles?" Oh, that's what I asked her. She's like. Uh, and then she starts making these crazy astrophysicist calculations. <laughs> and that went on for about 15 seconds when she just all of a sudden stops. And she's just like, oh, my gosh, I am way too sleep deprived for this. <laughs> and she's like, oh, my gosh, I bet this would go viral. Turn your camera on. So I turned on camera, took a video, and she bumbles through this thing for like four minutes we upload it. It's a joke. We sent it to her brothers because they thought it was hilarious because they have always teased her about being, you know, she says ditzy things all the time. <laughs> and so it sat there for three months. And then one of my fraternity brothers found it and posted it and it went viral. It got 10 million views. We went on Good Morning America, Real TV, True TV, Tosh.0, did the national tour for the <laughs> stupidest thing. And half the people loved it. Half the people hated it. 
we walked away with like 45 grand in ad revenue and licensing deals. We had t-shirt licensing deals. And then one of the companies that reached out to license, it was Mac and Cheese. And Mac <laughs> and Cheese at the time was run at Crispin Port and Bogusky, which was on my dream agency list. I've been trying to get in there for years. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, license the video. I'll give it to you for free, but you have to interview me for a job. They, oh my gosh. <laughs> they hired me. They flew us down to LA. They, you know, put us in Santa Monica, a beautiful place until we found a, uh, an apartment, you know, and I became like the in-house viral resident. But of course there was no work that had any relevance to that for eight months. So I took Old Navy from two to eight million Facebook likes during that time, back when that was a big thing, popular thing to do mm-hmm. before the engagement rate tanked off. But then about eight months in, Church Airlines called us one day and said, we want to make the most viral ad of all time. And the chief digital officer, Yvonne Amendariz Perez, comes in, he's like, it's your moment, man. This is why we hired you. <laughs> so we go in there and it's just, I'm just a mid-level guy. I'm very low on the totem pole. I look like I'm 12 years old. <laughs> and I go in there and I bash some heads. I'm like, guys, <laughs> this is how we're going to do it. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to do anything. <laughs> right, right. It's the way it's supposed to work in an agency right there. Good. <laughs> and everyone was just like, who the heck is this kid thinking he can just, but the CDO, he just gave me full authority to run this project involve almost no one. And I was like, guys, I really think at the creative team, I was like, concept some stuff around the selfie. It's the Oxford Dictionary of the uh, Year. I think we could get Kobe and Messi to do something around this. I think it's a relevant cultural moment. So they developed concepts, wrote a script, Turkish Airlines approved it. And then I had $3 million at my disposal. We didn't involve the media team. We didn't involve the legal team. I almost got fired afterwards. But the CDO approved all of this. I was signing order forms for $800,000 contracts with vendors. Just like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Holy cow. So we got 650 influencers to do shout outs to one video. It was the largest activation of all time at the time. We had this really crazy video SEO thing that we did. We did seeding with those native apps, native apps, the quizzes and stuff that were really big at the time a lot of the third party partners and stuff. And you could drive a lot of shares through like native ads and stuff. So we did a big buy there. We did a, about a one and a half million dollar YouTube ad buy. And it was highly strategic, a lot of international views, a lot of getting that velocity going and tripping algorithms. And there was tons of other stuff we did, but lo and behold, 150 million views and 3 million shares later, we made the most viral ad of all time. And that was what started everything else. Amazing. And by the way, for you guys listening, he said this very quickly. That's Kobe Bryant and Lionel Messi. So just so you guys know, like these are major stars. Yeah. Like this is and the videos, which we're obviously going to leave in the show notes. There's a series of three of them, unless there's others that I didn't see. But it was it was a series and it just kept getting better and better and better. And. Obviously, Turkish Airlines was where they have. Well, I'm not going to say obviously, but was Turkish Airlines happy with your your work? I have to assume that they were. It was so hilarious because everyone was so happy with the results, but no one had a clue of what had just happened. (laughs) I got an email from the head of the UK office who was leading the relationship. 
you know, the Europe CEO, I guess you could say. And he's like, we're so excited, but we don't know what the hell to do with this. We don't know <laughs> what it did, how to measure it, how to, but it won, it won a gold pre, can pre. My name wasn't on anything because evidently when you're in distribution on media, you don't get recognized. There were, <laughs> there were account executives who were on like one half hour call that got a, a <laughs> gold, but I, it, it didn't matter. I, I went and leveraged that thing and I just pulled every little ounce of life out of that success yeah. <laughs> so myself. But yeah, no one really understood. No one was able to really track the revenue from it. I think a few months later, Turkish Airlines attributed like 25 million in sales to it and mm-hmm. like 30% lift in brand recognition globally. Huh. They couldn't really track the revenue. No one at that time was tracking direct response very heavily. You know, only like 20% of spending was digital back then. So everything was still very like TV oriented. Sure. Um, but the brand lift was off the charts, just dominated. Crazy. Did they use it in a TV ad campaign? Because I know most of them were 60 seconds or, or longer, but did they use snippets of it at least? The video had like 15 million TV spend behind okay. it. Okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Here's what's crazy though. In that email, the director, he's like, so we spent 3 million with you. We spent 15 million on TV and we got, it was something like 100 times the impressions on <laughs> digital. Something wow. like wow. wow. But it was just so new and just so, you know, that industry was just so like antiquated and TV oriented that no one really knew what to do with it. And like four months went by I, and I, I, 20th Century Fox hired me to like utilize that capacity, but they never really, really could figure out how to use it. A lot of bureaucracy, red tape, mm-hmm. and they spent all their resources making static images from oh Twitter. Boy. <laughs> oh boy. So, oh boy. Like, guys, can you just let me go? Can you just lay me off? You know, <laughs> let me go, put me out to pasture. So they did, they let me go and they gave me severance. And that severance is what started chamber media. And that was just like, all right, we're going to take what we did here and we're going to make this a thing. That was the origin story. It's tremendous. I mean, the videos are so well done. I mean, they're so funny. But that was really, I didn't realize that was the launching point for everything for you from there, including Chambers Media, which is now hugely successful, which we'll get into in just a second. So obviously you leverage that to get other customers. You use it to market yourselves. Like how did you kind of use that initial success to launch what you have today? And then maybe secondary to that, like what do you do differently now as opposed to what you did back then? Although it was, you know, 2012, as I recall, you know, quite some time ago. But yeah, so how'd you leverage it all? And then uh, obviously use that to create a media company right now, which is totally kicking ass. Yeah, thank you. Gosh, you guys are going to like boost my ego. And then (laughs) don't worry that my wife, she always brings the ego back down. She always She talks math to you. That's right. She makes sure to let me know I'm really not not cool. Not smart. <laughs> well, not right. Mostly not right. <laughs> but that's part of being married, actually, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Really? That is part of it. Yeah, exactly. No, but seriously, I see a lot of video. I mean, your stuff is just off the charts great. So anyway, so it's not it's not false praise by any stretch. But if this does, you know, inflate the egos, hey, so be it. She's gonna have to deal with it later on today. <laughs> so uh, how did you leverage this to really launch what you got right now? 
Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wilders and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me, and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So we started off making viral videos and there was about that period of virality. And I never planned on being an entrepreneur. So I didn't have any of those skills. I didn't have that mindset. I had no idea how to get clients. But I, I had a little bit of a personal network in LA and I just put the word out on LinkedIn. I get like 10 likes a post, mm -hmm. but it took three months to get a client. Finally, we got a client. And for some reason, I think everyone was like, oh, he's really serious about this. He's like going to do this long term. And then people started referring people. And, okay. you know, one of those was Yahoo, Iceland Airlines, Latam Airlines, you know, Two Times You, the leggings company, TiVo, Polaroid. But they were all one-off campaigns. So we weren't getting anything uh. consistent. So we did 800000 in revenue our first year, which mm -hmm. surprised all of us surprised me big time. But anyways, we were doing those viral videos so that the next big video, okay, so I never directed anything, never produced, never, I wasn't allowed to touch creative at CPB. It was kind of like, Travis, give your ideas and strategies and then like go away because we are the geniuses. Um, <laughs> and, and granted, I, I didn't have any creative skills really. And so the next big project was Nordic Track. Nordic Track came to us and said, hey, we want to make the treadmill fun. We want people to think running on treadmills fun. And I'm like, mission impossible. Let's do it. <laughs> but let's do it. So we filled a barn with 50 treadmills and had 50 people dancing in unison. We got 12 influencers on those treadmills. And I produced that and just put all the people together. And we launched it and it did a few million in sales. America's Got Talent called and pulled our act on their show. We got 7 million primetime viewers for free. It was great. It did really well. And that was the first time we put direct response call to actions in the video. It was very light, but that was the first time that we really started to say, hey, let's see if we can close the gap between brand awareness and making people think something in brand recall 
and getting direct conversions. And that video crushed it. So we retargeted all Nordic Track website visitors, which is a ton because they're an $800 million a year company. And it, it crushed it. It got 12 to 1 return on ad spend and at low funnel. And that asset did really well. And so that was when the light bulb went off and we started moving very heavily into direct response, which was good because virality started to die off. Uh, organic reach and the ad platform started rolling out and all viral stuff got killed. And all of our competitors who kept doing viral video stuff for the most part couldn't make it. And that was uh, about five years ago, I think four years ago that we pivoted to direct response. And from then on, it was, you know, $1 in, $3 out. $1 in, $5 out. Let's track it. You know, brand recall and awareness is great, but let's really focus on tracking with pixels, building attribution models, looking at multi-channel lifts and retail and online retail and Amazon. And that's kind of what we've been doing ever since. I think that's so great. And that's, I mean, that's the ultimate goal, right? Being able to get that brand awareness, but also get the conversions at the same time. So, oh my gosh, I have so many questions. First off, I mean, how are you coming up with these ideas? For people that don't necessarily have a creative team and they're a small business, the idea of people in a barn dancing on treadmills or even any of your other videos that are just, are you just brainstorming and you have a notebook and then you're like, I think this is going to work for a specific client constantly? Or how are you thinking of all of these like such fascinating ideas that are just really resonating with people online. And then on top of that, being able to kind of, like you said, just slide, you know, specific CTAs into the videos. I feel like that's such a skill that you don't really think about when you're actually just creating a video, like the very specific ideas that go into it and then how to drive people to an actual conversion. So I get this question a lot. I still don't have the answer to it, but (laughs) when it comes to creativity, there's just very few resources and tools to learn creativity. Mm -hmm. Everything's very tactical. College doesn't teach it. Everything's skills-based. And so as far as the ability to think creatively, I don't know how that happens, (laughs) Um, but I do know where it starts because I never saw myself as a creative. I never thought... But then I go look back my whole life. I was always doing creative stuff, like duct taping a VHS camera to my helmet (laughs) and going off jumps and then breaking it and getting the first GoPro, right? (laughs) The The original GoPro. Yeah. Eight pound GoPro. I remember I almost broke my neck. Sounds like a really heavy GoPro. (laughs) Yeah. I snapped my neck with that. I had to work a whole summer to pay for that VHS camera. Oh no. That's awesome. But yeah. And and here's what I've noticed too. A lot of the best creatives I've noticed were in bands in high school. I don't know what that has to do, but I've <laughs> people who just grew up naturally gravitating to creative, no matter what it was, it seems to most often be music for some reason, but I've yeah. noticed those people tend to pick up creative really quick. Yeah. Because their brain is kind of built in those processes. But here's what I will say. For me, it required being a complete imposter, a complete fraud, putting my flag in the ground and saying, I'm a creative. I can write, you know, because I had to go into Nordic track. I was the only employee of this company. I had two partners that were still working full time and eventually they never joined. So we split. I was just me and myself going into Nordic track saying, I need $130,000. We're going to make this thing. It's going to be huge. (laughs) You're just straight up 
Come just owning it. <laughs> it up as you go along. Faking it till you're making it. Make it right. till you make it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> so I think that's the key to creative is just, you have to just assume the identity. And I yeah. think that's the biggest hurdle for people. Like, I'll tell you one thing that terrifies me is if someone said, Travis, you need to go make a 30 minute stand up right now. <laughs> terrified. <laughs> terrified. Yeah. But it takes this like careless recklessness, this impulsiveness to just say, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to suck, but I'm just, who cares? You know? Right. What part does research play in it? Cause I always sort of refer back cause like, it's a great question, Amanda. It's like, where does creativity come from? But I always sort of think, well, if you're not really all that creative, you still do need to do a fair amount of research. Like you need to know, like most people know what a Nordic track is, but you still do need to do the research about the thing that you're trying to sell, especially yeah. when it comes to direct response. So I've never created anything that was super original. I have ripped off and stolen everyone else's ideas. And the truth is, so did Beethoven, so did Picasso, so did Rembrandt. They all just, you know, stood on the shoulders of other people. So the treadmill dance, we didn't come up with that. OK Go did. OK yeah. Go. Did that was my immediate first thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So when it comes to research, just look, I mean, Bad creative comes from completely ripping other people off because then it's not original or authentic. Right. So right. you have to take their idea, steal it, and steal it means you make it your own. And that's what Picasso meant when he said, good artists copy, great artists steal. Stealing is now you own it and now you make it something different. And ironically, Picasso stole that from someone who stole that from someone. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you, a I lot of stealing. I actually went through the path of that because I was like, oh my gosh, Picasso, what a genius. Right. And I did some research and I, I found out he did not invent that. So he got that. Well, Steve Jobs stole it from him. Anyways, I have this whole etymology of that saying. Yeah, yeah that's good. <laughs> well, I feel like what you're even describing, like from like an SEO perspective on like the SEO side of things is just like skyscraper content where it's like you're take not stealing your competitor's content, but you're taking the best content that's in the search results and then building something better. That's, you know, yes. going to resonate with your customers. Yeah. Creative is more about strategy than it is about being a creative genius. Just to <laughs> your point, world's largest treadmill dance. I did a bunch of SEO research and world's largest anything was huge. Right. <laughs> huge. Everyone went on a world's largest and the search volume was monstrous and the, yeah. the supply was very low. Did the same thing with Kobe and Messi. The selfie was the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year. So right. Good. huge yeah. relevance. So smart. Very low. So yeah, SEO. Now we don't care about SEO at all anymore because we just- No, la, la, la. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't focus on SEO anymore because nothing goes viral anymore. So it's just harder. We probably should, to be honest, we probably should yeah. be focusing on SEO. But I feel yeah. like when you're building that, I mean, it comes yeah. naturally, right? So when you're building, you know, these ad campaigns or you're driving awareness to those videos, it's just going to come on its own without even having to focus on it. And I feel like that happens when you start to have the right amount of brand awareness. To be honest, we've swung way too far in the paid direction probably because every time we try to do something organic, it's just like so disappointing. <laughs> it's almost like if you try, you won't get it. But it's like if you just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, we you are can... probably stupid, though, to not 
we used to video SEO used to be one of our biggest metrics and we probably are really stupid. The thing is though, Facebook, I think what killed it is we used to be so YouTube focused mm-hmm. and YouTube is monstrous for SEO. Monstrous. Mm-hmm. If you get a video that ranks for your term, it's very yes. likely to show up at the top. However, Facebook kind of like killed the whole glory days. <laughs> Facebook though sucks for SEO. All you get with SEO and Facebook is Facebook SEO because right. Google kills everything Facebook does. So, and not a lot of people, and to my knowledge, search keywords in the way they do on Facebook as they do on Google. Google and YouTube, it's like, hey, I need an answer to this question. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's different, yeah. All question-based. And I mean, just to your point, though, I mean, one, yes, it is all question-based. And at Digital Marketer, we're specifically diving into YouTube for exactly the reason you just said. It's the second largest search engine. But all that being said, you know, one thing that we've been talking about on this show for, you know, a few different weeks now is how closely tied paid and organic is. So when you're running those ads, how closely tied it is to your, what people are seeing on Google. And I've given that talk or got up on (laughs) my high horse more than a few times to talk about the trends that we see in terms of what we're spending on paid media and the traffic that we see coming from organic. It's just so closely tied together, I think. Yeah, it it is. And this is making me think we need to put more effort into YouTube SEO. <laughs> Just be icing on the cake, it sounds like. It sounds like you guys are doing pretty well on their own. Yeah. <laughs> but that yeah. is what we're focusing. I mean, we are have like a large focus on video this year. And YouTube is what we're really trying to double down on for sure. I mean, the opportunities are just endless there from the you know brand awareness standpoint, but also from organic trying to leverage that obviously (laughs) which is obviously a great place to have sort of what we refer to as like your level one or top of funnel traffic and your videos are great for that for getting engagement and awareness and obviously you know the direct response side of it like we said we're going to leave a lot of links to your videos in the show notes here so people can actually get sort of a taste as to what kind of stuff you do tell us about like how you actually take people down the continuum from engagement cold traffic all the way to conversion. Do you have different videos based upon those levels of engagement? I know you're a Eugene Schwartz fan like like I am and like Amanda is <laughs> here. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that to get video to actually convert regardless of the platform, whether or not it is search-based, SEO-based, Facebook-powered by ads, Google-powered by ads, what have you. Yeah, that's a great question. And just really quick, I think we haven't been very focused on SEO and organic because our business model is not very focused on that. What we've noticed is most SEO and organic moved in house. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. First, half of our revenue first year was influencer integrations and then tech and in-house people took that over. So we got out. So that's the reason I think we stopped offering that is because in-house people do that. In-house people should be studying digital marketer and doing that stuff. We really like paid. We like paid because it's trackable, it's measurable, we're directly tied to revenue, so it's harder to get rid of us. And so that, I think that's why we've been so focused on that front. And it's like, if something's converting, then you could put a lot of resources into it. So as far as that goes though, the funnel has been something that's just further developed. So three years ago, you could make one really big anchor video and you could run cheap views campaigns on that and just dominate. Dollar Shave Club did that nine years ago. They were the 
pioneers in this space, them and Old Spice. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that anymore. And a majority of companies that have scaled their ads have done so with very cheap, low cost ads. But what they've done is they've done a very good job at making multiple pieces of content, rapidly testing in an iterative way, dialing in on the copy and the messaging that works, and then constantly refreshing creative. That is where most brands are winning. And so what we found is the anchor videos do very well at these metrics. These are the metrics where anchor videos, and for all of you who don't know, anchor videos are really large budget productions that you, when you watch them, you can tell, wow, this, was, this is big. This yeah. is a big commercial. And these are the metrics where anchor videos really come into play. Almost always increase average order value, conversion rate, reorder rate, lifetime value, branded search, direct search traffic, and brand recall. Now, that doesn't always improve your, your return on ad spend. It doesn't. It doesn't always do that. And in some cases, it makes your return on ad spend even more expensive. We have seen, I'll just give you an example, our own chamber media ads that we've run, which we didn't start doing until four months ago because we used to be the doctor who smoked. <laughs> of course you're the last one to do your own stuff i found <laughs> <It's> always, <laughs> we just started running, running our own ad six months ago as a facebook and instagram ad agency but anyway go ahead <laughs> and of course once we do it i immediately feel like the biggest idiot on the planet because we get a 200 to one return on ad spend <laughs> <laughs> oh that's not so good no. the highest rise i've ever seen is from our own ads we just never did it because we're like you can't sell high ticket like this but we were wrong. But <laughs> the example is this, okay? So I go and I do what we do, right? I go out and I make 10 ad assets, 10 pieces of creative, all testing completely different assumptions. Let's find what works. So we run all that stuff. And pretty soon my ad buyers had whittled it down to two assets because they were the highest ROAS. And they were trying to get the lowest cost really possible. I was like, guys, have you got forgotten what we preach? I was like, I want to spend twice as much per lead, but I want you to run all 10 assets because this is high ticket. And I want people getting to the point where they feel like they just have to work with us. So sure enough, we spend more cost per lead. Our return on spend goes, well, that actually went way up. But anyways, our close rate doubled. <laughs> that's what matters <laughs> because there's so much front end level one cold traffic content that convinces by the time they actually got you totally makes sense and there's just yep. so many there's so many assumptions in so many ads that you're hitting people in tons of different ways now the scenario where this is really hard to do is products under twenty dollars because we ran some ads for a sock company and you can't afford to hit people five or six times for socks you got to hit them once or twice. Hmm. Um, but for anything pretty much over $30, $40 average order value, which honestly should be almost every e-commerce company, if you're trying to move an average order value of $20, you're going to be in a world of hurt unless you have a giant reorder type mm -hmm. product and you're just trying to break even on acquisition and then make your money over time, which is like Beard Club, Dollar Shave Club and all that. But that's what we found is you've got to have multiple assets and so what we did is we got real scientific and nerdy about this. So we took every asset we have ever run, over $80 million in ad spend that we've managed, and we put it into a library, and then we categorized it by ad type. 
So we developed 100 different names for different ad types, 100 ad types categorized by performance and where they worked best in the funnel. And we whittled it down and we found out that there are seven categories of ads that generally perform the best. So the seven categories that we identified was spokesperson anchor video, product demos, social proof, closer ads, case studies, lifestyle, and unboxings. So spokesperson anchor videos are the Dollar Shave Club video. Mm -hmm. It's connecting with the face. We have seen these work really well at the top of funnel. You can educate people, you can keep their attention, and the human face converts. We just know nothing is more persuasive than a human face. It's just biological. Then second is the product demo. Product demo is pretty much the foundation. That's, I'd say, a good half, at least, of what most uh, ad accounts have are just product Mm -hmm. demos. So that could be side-by-side comparisons, visual demonstrations, stop-motion animation. There's, I think we've got 15 different ad types that we've identified in that category. Then there's social proof. Social proof is just press features, customer reviews, testimonials, all that stuff. Closer ads. This is one that people usually only do discounts for in this category, but we do a lot of progressive discounts like day seven, day 14, day 21. But another thing we do for closer ads is we do a bounce from cart ad. So we'll make some high urgency ad for anyone that bounced from the cart and pixel that page. We also will have a message from the founder that will often run, but we'll also use the spokesperson for the anchor video. We'll make tons of closer ads with them of overcoming concerns. So we'll write down five concerns that people have price, quality, shipping, ease of use, and we'll shoot videos to overcome those concerns. They're really short. Uh, And then case study videos, case studies is usually before and afters. If there's any type of clinical study, uh, any type of claims, anything like that, those are very powerful to put people over the edge. Lifestyle is probably the other half of what most accounts run. Very popular in fashion, uh, apparel, beauty, cosmetics. And so lifestyle is more branding focused. If you have a really aspirational brand where people really need to know that it's premium and beautiful, that's what you run. And then unboxing, pretty self-explanatory unboxings work pretty well, just showing it arriving on the door and someone opening it, whether that's raw UGC or whether that's like stop motion animation or something that's really uh, cool. So those are the seven foundational ad categories. So what we do is we'll look at an account, we do a creative audit, and we basically choose which categories they're weak in and we go make that stuff. And then it's just a, what worked, let's double down. Okay, now what else do we want to try? And it's become very formulaic for us in that regard. So with all those seven types, how do you deploy them based upon levels of engagement or levels of traffic? Like just keeping it simple, cold, warm, hot, but, or if you want to explain it by uh, Eugene Schwartz (laughs) explains it, which might be an entire episode unto itself by the five levels of engagement, but obviously not all of them are used at the same level. So how do you sort of deploy them? Is there a scientific way in which you guys do that as well? Yeah. So we haven't defined the science as specifically in that regard because it does vary so much from account to account. The quick answer is it's just a matter of testing and wasting some money, throwing some money away to figure that out. Spokesperson always pretty much is top of funnel. Usually there'll be one product demo that works pretty well, top of funnel. And then the other one I've noticed has worked pretty often top of funnel are raw testimonials. Those are the huh. three that usually end up charging. We have a client PMD 
a few hundred thousand dollars a month in spend. And we have a raw testimonial that performs prospecting equally as well as our $85,000 anchor video. We don't say, oh, we didn't need the anchor video. What we say is different types of people need different types of creative. We've seen half of people seem to want super branded, high produced stuff. Half of people want raw, feel like they discovered it, feel like it's, it's honest, genuine, sincere. So we've seen testimonials work pretty well at the top of funnel as well. Unboxings and case studies and closer ads and social proof, generally all retargeting, lower funnel, generally. Lifestyle is usually top to mid funnel, but it's just a level of aggressiveness to it. And every once in a while though, we will get a really amazing anchor video that will just do all of it at once. Mm. And we'll be able to run some overcoming concerns, closer ads behind it and just dominate that way. But that's it. It's just a matter of testing and making those assumptions. But those are some general patterns that we've seen. I noticed in, in some of your videos and some of the ones, and obviously, like I said before, we're going to leave a lot of links in the show notes here, is that your home run videos, like the home run case studies on chamber.media, it seems like a, some of them do a lot of those seven ad types all into one. Yeah. Or not not all of them, but at least pieces of them, testimonial chunks sort of at the end, obviously. You know, pool fence DIY, I think is my favorite, by the way. Just, <laughs> really? Yeah. I love that one. That brainstorm uh, was so awesome. We're like, how do we sell a pool fence? And we have all these creative pr- processes that we do <laughs> to come up with ideas. So that the exercise was, all right, how do we make the problem seem as huge as possible? It was like, <laughs> about a 50 kids Amish couple trying to keep 50 kids out of their pool that that stresses you out Thank you. So, it, so it is good. so weird and then the next question was yeah but that's really offensive to Amish people and we're like yeah but they're never going to see it so <laughs> so true Lot, lots of Amish jokes yeah <laughs> so, hey, you know, they shouldn't see it anyway right must we know yeah. All genres of white people are fair game. They're all right. fair game. Absolutely. You can, yeah. you, can, you can mess with white people as much as you want. No one's going to care. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> doesn't matter what Safe. Kind of. Safe territory there. So uh, that's cool. Yeah. A lot of people really like pool fence. That was a really fun one. But yeah, right. you're right. Yeah. It's like Mount Kilimanjaro. You got all the world's climates on one mountain. That's what some of these anchor videos are, is they cover every type of ad in one video. Right. It takes a lot of talent to be able to do it. I mean, I would love to be a fly on the wall in one of your creative meetings, like the pool fence DIY. Nerd skincare is one of the ones that's probably your, I would say, not necessarily known known for the most. I mean, obviously, the Turkish Airlines one is, is huge. But I mean, for you guys, that seems to be the one that people that I know have seen. Like, oh, I love that video. I was like, oh. We just yeah, I'd agree with that. that. Yeah. A nerd was pretty big. Got 25 million views. Yeah, it did really well. And here's the interesting thing. A lot of people don't know our videos because we usually shut them off at around 20, 15, 20 million views Hmm. because they lose their efficiency. Now, we have competitors who run the same asset to 100 million views for their own benefit. So if you ever have an agency that says, let's run this thing to a gazillion views, say, no, let's make a new one. It's mm. tired. People are sick of it. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, and we've, act, we've talked about this a number of times here on the show, sort of 
especially on the, the campaign structure shows that we've done here, we typically will run inside an ad set in Facebook ads anywhere between two to 10 creatives for the reason that you're talking about right here is that, yeah, you should do, and in our case, we're doing video and then we're doing images, carousels, like a bunch of different GIFs, GIFs, whatever you want to call it. The point is, is that like, there's a lot of different types of assets and those sort of in combination together actually last longer, but really for our customer accounts and you know in the ad spend that we're running are most effective from a conversion and a return on ad spend perspective certainly sounds like you're like not just one video and just take a shot at that do multiple ones especially at the top of the funnel if i'm hearing you correctly yep exactly it takes multiple types of creatives and usually the lower production the creative is generally speaking the lower the lifespan of it will be Unless it's low production, but it's just extremely engaging, uh, which happens all the time. I mean, I've seen stuff that we've made for a thousand bucks just last for a long time. But that but, makes sense uh, though, because those lower budget ads make it look like it's more of like a f- in your feed and that's usually when you're just scrolling through. So that, I mean, I mean, it makes sense from like a marketing perspective. Yeah. And I think, I think the main takeaway there is lower budget ads usually come across as common or yep. like you said, you're just used to seeing them. So they ju- you just kind of, they don't really stick out. And sometimes, mm-hmm. usually it takes a little bit of money and resources to make something that really is unusual and unexpected. And that gets people's attention. Yeah, absolutely. Tremendous. At the heart of it all is writing. You know, you can have really cheap video. So I went to the Dominican Treehouse Village that my buddy owns because I wanted to see if a video that I could make for free could perform like an anchor video. So my wife was a spokesperson. She's not a great actor. Great person. Great person. She's not a great actor. <laughs> the first to tell you that. Good at math. <laughs> Super average at math. <laughs> so amazing in other areas. <laughs> but I wrote that script in about half hour. We shot it on iPhone and she just had headphones going to a voice memo on her phone attached here. Horrible audio, horrible video quality. We just let the location be the production value, really extreme, cool destination. And we launched that ad. And within three months, we had spent 50,000 on that ad and it had drove 250,000 in revenue. Now this destination had only done 200,000 in revenue for the whole year. So we filled their booking rate from 40% to 95% and they've been stayed full. So you can make stuff that looks pretty bad if it has really good writing. The right messaging, the right copy. It all comes down to your copy. <laughs> and SEO you. always comes down <laughs> to SEO, SEO, keywords. It's all yes, about keywords. Yes. <laughs> this has been great, man. How should people uh, get in touch with you? How do they, like, what's the best way for people to engage with you and your, your agency? Uh, tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Oh, thank you. So our website is www.chamber.media. There's no S on that. If you do put an S on that and try to send me an email, go to some guy in Britain. So don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, he forwards those emails. Oh, what a nice guy. What a nice guy. Probably related somehow. Probably. Long lost cousin. My public email is tc at chamber.media if you want to reach out to me directly. And then I'm most active on uh, LinkedIn. So um, super active there and have a ton of contact content there. I maxed out on connections there, but there's a follow button. So 
Get in that algorithm flow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's basically there's three programs that people can potentially purchase with you. I know there's the anchor video program. Tell us about the other two or how they all differentiate. Anchor video program, 85,000 and up includes tons of videos and ad management if you want it. We've got a mini anchor program that comes with a bunch of retargeting ads at 30,000. And then we have monthly stuff you can get for five or 7,000. Or if you're really tight on funds, we've even got one-off stuff we can do for 5,000. And we do consulting as well. So there's there's all sorts of ways to work with us. And I'd say generally, if you're doing more than 20 or 30,000 a month in revenue, give us a call. We've got something for you. Yeah, that's awesome. Tremendous. Well, I mean, this has been uh, great to have you on the show. And, you know, like I said, uh, everything that we talked about today, will leave links in the show notes, especially the uh, YouTube's number one ad of the decade, <laughs> which is really tremendous. And as well as a lot of the other stuff that, that Travis has done here. So uh, really, thanks for coming on and enlightening us on the, it's the seven We'll actually list that out in the show notes as well, the seven video ad types. And uh, hopefully you can uh, start implementing those types of things in your own business, obviously at different levels of traffic. Or if you need a little bit of help, look up Traverse Chambers. Man, thanks for coming on this week. Really appreciate it. And like I said, for all the show notes and the resources that we mentioned in this week's show, head on over to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Until next week, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.